It's been such pleasure night after night to come and visit with you and enjoy sweet fellowship and uh, have such people that are willing to listen to God's word and you listen so attentively. And that, of course, is very encouraging to this old preacher. But this is the last day of our meeting. Sometimes it's a very sad day because you know that you're not going to see these same folks again and possibly not on this side of eternity. But we all look forward to that time when we'll be together forever in that beautiful place that is called heaven. This morning I want to talk to you about Christians I have known. And I use the word Christian without any apology whatsoever. So often today we find people that are called Christians simply because they are religious. But you know, in order to be a Christian, you must first of all be a disciple. The Bible tells us in Acts 11 and 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And of course, a disciple is a follower of Christ. It means more than just being a student or a learner. It speaks of an adherent, as Mr. Wiest would tell us. We are, a Christian is one who is living in obedience to the Lord. He's obeyed the gospel. He's become a Christian and he is living the Christian life. Well, you know, I've had the privilege down through the years to be associated with some of the very best people on the face of the earth. Christian people. And, of course, if I tried to point out all of the qualities, all of the characteristics of these people, we would be here all day. But I'm going to reduce it to just three. And I think that it will cover pretty well the Christian life. The first per person that I want to talk about is one we call, or I call, Brother Dependable. I use the word brother in the generic sense. You know, in the New Testament, there is a word that is translated man or men that is generic. It's talking of mankind, both men and women. And so that's the way I'm using the word brother dependable. Disappointments are going to come to our lives, but they're not going to come because of this member. He's one that you can know exactly what to expect from. He believes in God. He believes in his church. He believes in the work of the church and he's not willing for others to do his work. He understands that Christianity is a partnership. In this partnership, we have great blessings. But in order for us to participate in the great blessings, we should be willing to participate in the responsibilities as well. And so this brother is one who is willing to give others the same rights that he asked for himself. We hear a lot about rights today. My rights. Well, Brother Dependable is one who is willing to concede to others the same rights that he asked for himself. If he has the, uh, he has the right to be absent from the services of the church, then his brother or his sister has the same right. But he wants the program of the church to succeed. And so he knows in order for that to happen, he must do his part. So you'll find him at all of the services of the church. He might be tired. He might have other things that he'd like to do. But he feels his responsibility to serve his Lord. Now, if he were so disposed, 
he probably could give a better excuse than somebody else for missing the services. Hasn't he done his part when he has uh, reached out to the lost, when he has strengthened those that are weak in the church, when maybe he's taught a lesson or he's done the dozens of things that Christians ought to do and would not be done if it were not for such people as he. But he'd rather do his duty than to make excuses. And you know, that reminds me of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. You remember that this man had his business and he left his business in the hands of his three servants while he would take a journey into a far place. He left with one man five talents, with the second man two talents, to the third man one talent according to their ability expecting them to use these talents in his business and gain for him even more talents. Well, of course, the man with five gained five more talents. The man with two discharged his responsibilities and he gained two more talents. But the man with one, the Bible says that he was making excuse. He hid his talent and he depended upon excuses to satisfy his master when he returned. Well, the reckoning day came. The man with five in a sentence of just 16 words told his master what he had done. And he received, of course, the blessing of the master. The man with two talents, well, in a sentence of 16 words, told him how he'd used his talents to gain two more talents. And he received the blessing of his Lord. But the man with one, the Bible says, began to make excuse. And in a sentence of 43 words, he made his excuse for his not using his talent to gain another talent. He used more energy and more speaking than he should have and almost three times as much as the others who had performed their service uh, uh, faithfully to their master. Well, of course, you remember that the master says, depart from me, you wicked and soulful servant. You know, my friends, excuses may satisfy some of the elders of the church or leaders of the church or maybe our brothers and sisters in Christ. But they won't, they won't satisfy our Lord on the day of judgment. When we're about to make an excuse for not discharging our responsibilities, we should ask ourselves our quest the question, will this excuse satisfy my master on the day of judgment? And I'm sure that those excuses will go unmade. Another thing about Brother Dependable is the fact that he does not engage in criticism of his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's too busy doing things that are far more constructive than to give himself to finding the mistakes of his fellow men. You know, it's one of the easiest things in the world to criticize somebody. I've been working with the church in Shreveport for more than 50 years. There's some of those people that know me as well as they know the back of their hand. They know all of my uh, qualities, they know all of my problems, and they know what maybe is wrong in my life. So it's easy for them to find fault in my life. But you know, that easy thing is not what we should be, we should be engaging in. 
We should not be laboring so much in the cause of Christ, avoiding mistakes ourselves, than to find fault with others. You know, there was a story that was told many years ago by a fellow. He said that he was raised on a farm in New Mexico. And one day he and some of the other farm boys decided that they were going to play war. And so they began to arrange their battlefield. They had it all about arranged. And they noticed the old wagon that the father had, brought, had used to bring corn from the field into the crib. And they thought that would make a fine fort. And so they began the task of moving that wagon over to its desired spot. The man said he took hold of the tongue of the wagon and he pulled and guided. The others put their shoulders to the back of the wagon and pushed. But he said as they went along, there was somebody behind them that was constantly criticizing. You've taken the wrong course. You've taken the roughest road. You're going too slow and so forth. Finally, he got a belly full of it and he looked around and there was old Henry sitting on the back of the wagon it was easy for him to uh, find fault. And of course, he was just making extra weight for the others. And I've found so many times that people that are super crit uh, critical are usually those that are riding along on the, on the wagon of salvation. And it's easy for them to be critic, uh, to, to criticize. Well, brother and sister dependable are too busy to even look back at the complainers. And another thing about this brother is that he believes in service. You know, he believes in the words of Jesus when Jesus said in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. And in order for us to do that, we're going to have to touch the lives of our fellow men. We're going to have to render service unto them. I'm afraid sometimes, friends, that we think that all that there is to the Christian life is just to come together on Lord's Day and worship and then go on and forget about it the rest of the week. But you know, in addition to that worship, there must be service unto the Lord. And it's interesting to me that in, in Jesus' words about uh, Judgment Day, that Jesus said these words, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. In other words, the Lord is saying to us on judgment day, when you have done good unto others, when you've rendered service to others, it's the same as if you have done that service unto me. But you know, also on that day, we're told that the Lord is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You notice he didn't say, well done, thou good and faithful worshiper. Well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I'd very, be very quick to say that any service that we render unto the Lord is worship unto him. Because that's what the apostle tells us in Romans, the 12th chapter and the first verse. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The second Christian that I want to take note of is one that I call brother unselfish. You know, our old world is so enshrouded with selfishness. Every person looking upon his own interest. 
that this brother or this sister appears like a, a blooming oasis in the midst of a sun-scorched desert. We need these people so much. What would this old world be without the pleasant smiles and the kindly words of those that are interested in us? What kind of world would this be if we didn't have others to share with in this life? But yet how prone we are to forget the interest of our fellow man. You know, I've come to the realization that I depend upon hundreds of others for every bite of food I eat, every garment of clothes I wear, the very shelter over my head. But yet in spite of all that, sometimes we become very uh, oblivious to what others. We're prone to forget the interest of our fellow man. Well, brother unselfish, is not only interested in others, he's also interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not recognize this man, but this man was a very famous man in times past, H.G. or H.J. Hines. He was the manufacturer of the famous 57 varieties. And on his desk, he had this motto, God first, Others second, pickles third. I like that. First of all, we should uh, justly consider God in everything that we do. He comes first. Secondly, we should consider that from which we expect others to benefit. And then third, we justly consider that from which we expect self to benefit. You know, so often I think that we're living in what you might call the me generation. We're interested in what people can do for me rather than what I can do for others. But you know, if we have true love, we're going to be unselfish people because I believe that unselfishness is born of love. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 and 5. Love does not seek its own. Other versions just simply say, love is unselfish. And then we read the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4 and 8, when he says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You know, I think that covering of a multitude of sins is certainly expressed by some mother when she goes to a prison cell to visit her criminal son. He's wronged society. He's broken her heart. But yet she still loves that son as much as ever. I heard a story one time about an hardened criminal that was awaiting execution. He was on death row. And he was such a hardened criminal that he wouldn't confess his guilt. Ministers went to him and pleaded with him. His friends pleaded with him, but he refused. But then one day there was a little girl just four years old who was walking down the corridor. I don't know why she was there. She was the daughter of the prison warden. But she was walking down that corridor in front of those cells. And she would stop at each cell and look at the criminals. And she came to his cell. 
And there he sat on the edge of his cot with his head in his hands. And she just reached her little hands through the bars and patted him on the head. And she said, you may be a bad man, but I still love you. You know, immediately that man wailed out his confession of guilt. What fear and punishment had failed to do, love was able to accomplish. Love shall cover a multitude of sins. Another thing about this love is in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, that great love's chapter, that tells us that love is not only unselfish, but that love bears all things. I think that one of the greatest levers in the world is the lever of love. Have you ever uh, noticed one of those huge cranes that is able to lift just about any weight? It can lift uh, huge weights that any number of men would not be able uh, to lift. Well, it's the power of leverage. When I was a very young preacher, I was walking down Main Street in Little Rock, Arkansas, where Leon Fancher and I were trying to establish a congregation. And I noticed these people standing at a fence watching some action. And of course, I wanted to know what they were watching. And I walked over to the fence and to my amazement, I saw a huge bulldozer down in this deep hole that was moving the soil. Well, the first thing that occurred to my mind was, how did it get down there? And how are they going to get it out? Well, I walked down the street and after a while I came back and this huge crane had moved in. And it had let down its cables and taken hold of the four corners of that huge bulldozer and was just gingerly uh, lifting it out of that hole. Well, that's the power of leverage. Well, you see, the lever of love in the hands of Brother Unselfish has lifted many a burden from a heavy heart. And one thing about this brother is that he doesn't talk about the burdens that he tries to lift from the lives of others. You see, he is in the service of the master who said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I think about that passage, I think about a mother sitting by the bedside of her child, uh, bathing that fevered brow. She'll stay there all day and she'll stay there all night if needs be. It's hard to get her away from that bed. Why? Because... She loves. I met a slender little maid, a rosy burden bearing. Is it not heavy, dear, I said, as past me she was hurrying. She looked at me with grave, sweet eyes, this fragile little mother, and answered as in swift surprise, Oh, no, sir, he's my brother. Did all of us the secret seek of this dear little mother? Unwearingly we'd bear the weak because he is our brother. That, my friends, is brother or sister unselfish. But then I'd also tell you, my friends, that brother unselfish gives of his time, his talents, yes, and of his money to the Lord's work. And he doesn't think that he's got anything to boast about when he's given 10% of his earning. He's given that tithe that he reads about in the Old Testament. 
because he realized that, uh, realizes that under the Old Testament, those uh, people of God were required as a bare minimum to give 10% of their earnings into the service of the temple. And in addition to that, they were to give free will offerings unto God. You know, over in Malachi 3 and 8, God said, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Notice he makes a distinction between tithes, that's 10%, and offerings, that's something in addition. We're told by some authorities that those Old Testament saints would give as much as 30% of their earning into the service of God in that time. You see, they realize that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, we're told in Psalm 24 and 1. That is, everything actually belongs to God. It belongs to Him by right of providence. It belongs to Him by right of creation. And so actually, you and I are just stewards in the possession of the goods of another. And one of these days, there's going to be a reckoning day. And our Lord is going to say in Luke 16 and 2, give an account of your stewardship. What's going to be our status when we stand before the Lord in judgment and we have appropriated to our own selfish interest that which should belong unto Almighty God? I believe, my friends, that we should be the most unselfish and giving and liberal people that are found upon the face of this earth. Sometimes people ask me, how much do you think I ought to give? Well, the New Testament doesn't tell us a percent, does it? And I simply reply, 10% would be a good place to start. And I guarantee you, my friends, that if you pledge yourself to do that, the Lord will bless you far more than you will ever uh, realize. You know, sometimes I find people that withhold from the Lord because they think they're going to need it. I've had people tell me, Wayne, I would give more, but you see, I've got all of these bills that I've got to pay. What they don't realize, that God will provide their needs. The Apostle Paul commended those Philippian brethren for their generosity. And he said, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, the Lord was going to bless them for their liberality. And then the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, and he's talking about giving. He said, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. What's he saying? He is saying that if you give to the Lord and you give generously and liberally to the Lord, the Lord is going to bless you in return. In fact, he's going to bless you in abundance you'll even have more to give than you had before. You know, E.H. Miller used to say that God has a shovel and we've got a shovel. He said we shovel it out to the Lord and he shovels it back to us, but his shovel is always bigger than our shovel. You can't outgive the Lord. He's always going to give you more than you give to him. 
In Matthew 16 and 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, that's material things, shall be added unto you. You know, the Apostle Peter was concerned about what they had given to the Lord. They'd left their business, they'd left everything behind, and they were following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so the Bible says in Mark 10 and 28, Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive an hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. You know, I preached this one time and I told the folks that if you give to the Lord, he'll give it back to you a hundred percent. And some brother after services said, Wayne, did I hear you say that a hundredfold meant a hundred percent? I said, yes, sir. He said, no, sir, a hundredfold is a hundred times. You see, my friends, we don't have to worry about what we give to the Lord. If we give to the Lord, we give to him generously as we should. He's going to bless us far more than we could ever imagine. The apostle tells us in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, the sixth verse, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about giving. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's simply saying to us that if we give sparingly, that's the way the Lord's going to reward us. If we give bountifully, that's the way that he will give to us. You see, brother uh, unselfish realizes that he brought nothing into this world and he can't carry anything out. All that I can hold in this cold, dead hand of mine is that which I have given away. And so I should be willing to give generously unto my Lord. You know, the apostle was very concerned about these brethren he wanted them to realize that each one of them had a responsibility to give and to give generously. He said that there should be equality. And so we're not, not going to allow others to uh, supply the material things that are needed for the church. We're going to do our part. So what would the church be and where would the church be without its unselfish members? We should all, we, all of us pray, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that in, even when I kneel and pray, my prayer will be for others. We sing that. Let's live that. The last brother that I want to mention is a brother that we call Brother Faithful. Where is the church today that does not depend for its very existence upon his faithful members. This person is faithful to God. He's faithful to the church. He's faithful to his brethren. He's faithful even to his own conscience. 
And there's one word that he believes in, and that is the word consistent. He wants to be consistent in his service to God. He doesn't believe that one commandment is more important than another. He just believes that he must live by all of God's word. Or as Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Brother Faithful is a person who is always constant in his service. Not only is he consistent, but he is also persistent in his service. His zeal and his faithfulness doesn't vary with the varying circumstances of life. Other people may pledge and they may vow and they may promise and then go on and forget it. But not this brother, not this sister. They are faithful regardless of the varying circumstances of life. It reminds me of an old clock that a man talked about. He said when he was a boy, his dad brought in this old clock, put it on the mantel, wound it up and set it to ticking. And he said it ticked away the hours all through his childhood. But then he left home and one day he came back and he sat down in the living room and his attention was uh, focused upon that old clock. And he thought to himself, if that old clock could tell stories, he would tell many stories, stories of joy, stories of sorrow. In the very room in which that old clock sat, that father and that mother had been concerned about their children. In that very room, some of those children had been born into this world. The mother has gone down into the valley of the shadow of death and brought forth a child. And it had watched them as they had gone through careful, carefree childhood. Some of them had been winded away on pinions of glory from this vale of tears to that land of unclouded day. And that old clock stood above the mother and the father as they grieved over this great loss. And of course, in that very room in which the old clock was ticking away the hours, some of the children had grown up to manhood and womanhood and they had exchanged their marriage vows and then they'd gone off to establish their own homes. And it stood above that mother and father as their hearts would go off to some distant place where their children had gone. It stood above them as they toiled to make it sure that their children were properly prepared for life. They toiled daily and that old clock watched it all. But he said the final thought that came to his mind was when he was a child and all of the family would go to bed and go to sleep and that old clock was not being watched. It could have just stopped its ticking. Nobody would have known. But still it just ticked away the hours as if it were being watched. How like many Christians that I've known through the years. Friends, I've preached all over this United States. I've gone to places many years ago and preached the gospel and baptized people. And then it'll be many years before I go back to that place. But as I start toward that place, I think to my mind, who am I going to find? I know that some of those folks that maybe I baptized into Christ have gone back into the ways of the world. But I always have in my mind some special people that I know were faithful then and they're faithful now. 
And they're going to be faithful when Jesus comes again. And that is the joy that I have in my heart as I think about these faithful Christians. They are people who believe in the words of Revelation 2 and 10. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Or he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Now sometimes those faithful Christians are going to be criticized. You know, I have found down through the years you can't please everybody. I started out to preach and tried to please everybody and found out if I pleased one, I displeased another. So I finally just decided I'm going to try to please the Lord and let the chips fall. I found out I pleased more people that way than before. Can't please everybody. But the faithful Christian is going to be criticized. You may get through the world, but twill be very slow if you listen to all that is said as you go. You'll be worried and fretted and kept in a stew for meddlesome tongues will have something to do for people will talk. If quiet and modest, you'll have it presumed that your humble position is only assumed. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing or else you're a fool. But don't get excited. Keep perfectly cool for people will talk. You'll hear some loud hints that you're selfish and mean. If generous and noble, they'll vent out their spleen. If upright and honest and fair as the day, they'll call you a rogue in a sly sneaking way for people will talk. And then if you show any boldness of heart or a slight inclination to take your own part, they'll call you an upstart, conceited and vain. But keep right ahead. Don't stop to explain, for people will talk. Brother and sister faithful, just keep on plodding on. One other thing I want to say, and I'm going to be through. When I'm thinking about brother faithful, I'm talking about that which motivates him in his life. And I want to say, my friends, that faith enables us to do many things that we otherwise could never do. Sometime this afternoon, you find you a quiet place. You sit down with your Bible and you read Hebrews, the 11th chapter. That's Inspiration's Hall of Fame. That's God's list of Heroes, heroes of faith. These men were faithful and they were always faithful and they received the blessing of their Lord. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. And in the very first verse of Hebrews 11, it tells us now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Your faith is just as real to you as sight. And faith will enable you to do many things in life that you otherwise could not do. I heard about a little family who lived in their happy home. It was a mother and a father, and a little girl. And they were so happy in their home and it seemed that there was nothing that could mar their happiness. But one day death did and it took the young mother. Well, after the funeral was over, the Young father and the girl were invited to the homes of their friends to help them through their grief, but they said, no, we're going to our own home. As soon as they entered the home, the little girl began to cry and 
The father couldn't quell her grief. And finally, he just carried her upstairs, tucked her into bed, turned out the light, and sat down in the dark by the side of her bed. Still, the little girl was crying. After a while, through her tears, she realized that her dad was also weeping. And she said, Daddy is so dark. He said, Yes, dear, it is so dark. She didn't realize the significance of his words. But then she cried on. Finally, in the middle of the night, she said, Daddy, are you still here? He said, yes, dear, I'm here. I'll be with you all through the night. And she said, Daddy, it is so dark and I can't see you. But I know that you're here and I know that you're going to stay with me all through the night because you are my daddy and because you love me. And she said, and so I'll just hush my crying and go to sleep. And that young man who was a Christian got down on his knees by the side of that bed. And he said, Father, I can't see you. And it's so dark. But I know that you're here. And I know that you'll be with me all through the night because you promised in your word that you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. And there was a courage that was born in that young man's heart that could only be caused by faith. Brother faithful is faithful always. He's always faithful. And so I close my lesson by asking you, in the midst of all of the darkness of light, are you faithful unto your Lord? How would you class yourself this morning? Would you class yourself as dependable? Would you class yourself as unselfish or faithful? Or sad to say, would you class yourself as undependable, selfish, and unfaithful? God help us to be the people that we need to be in His service. I don't know who wrote this. But this person said, I want to be, I want the church to go forward in his God-given work until the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But I cannot expect others to carry the banner where I refuse to go. I hope that is your resolution today. And I hope that we will ask ourselves this question. What kind of church would this church be if each of its members were just like me? Would we ever have a gospel meeting? Would we ever see, send the gospel to distant lands? Would we ever do the things that you're going to do in this congregation and building a new building in a new location and reaching out to this our community as never before? What kind of church would this church be if each of its members were just like me? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You're missing the greatest life that this old world has ever known, the Christian life. It has the greatest possibilities. It has the greatest promises. It has the greatest possessions. And you have it within your grasp. If you're not a Christian,
You can become a Christian this morning. Become a disciple of Christ. Become a beneficiary of all of the wonderful blessings and benefits that are to be found in this wonderful sphere that is called in Christ. You do that by believing in Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him as Son of God, and being baptized. And when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27, you're baptized into His body, which is the church. If you are not a Christian, become one. If you strayed away from you, Lord, come back while we stand, while we sing.